worship team this morning. You may be seated. Uh, my name is Johnny. I am the campus pastor here at the bridge, and I am so excited that it's not snowing, you guys. I'm so, I'm thrilled. You wouldn't believe. This morning I woke up, and the first thing I did is I looked at my phone like, oh no, are we going to cancel? Is there bad weather again? So we're here. We're here, and I'm so glad to be here with you. Uh, I just want to uh, say a couple things before we get started. Uh, as Sarah mentioned, this uh, week is Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of the Lent season, and we will have a service here at 7 o'clock. I would encourage you uh, to come out to that if you can. If you have kiddos, uh, we will have a nursery available uh, and childcare and things like that. So uh, last year, I was not raised in the Reformed tradition. I wasn't raised in a tradition where we did a lot with Lent. And so last year, I, I shouldn't admit this to you all, was my first ever Ash Wednesday service. If you were here, you probably noticed. Um, but I'm not even in charge this year. It was so bad. Uh, but no, uh, so it was my first Ash Wednesday service, but I really appreciated the beauty of that time uh, and a time to reflect on the fact that uh, from dust we came and from dust we will return, but Christ is all in all. And so I would invite you out. Uh, it, it's going to be a beautiful time uh, this Wednesday. Uh, the other things to go along with Lent, uh, I hope you got a bookmark. That's what this is uh, when you came in today. This has a daily reading for every day of Lent. Uh, the, Sunday, or the days that are in bold are Sundays, and that will be the passages that we're actually preaching out of on those Sundays. So if you like to follow along with where the church is going and with the season, and, and you're always looking for a new resource to help you in your devotional life and your Bible reading, I would encourage you to grab one of these bookmarks. Uh, if you didn't get one, uh, I think they're going to be out on the welcome counter, I hope, if there's somebody here who can make that happen. Uh, and then uh, at the end, you can grab one of those if you didn't get one. So those are great. And then uh, another thing is, uh, in the bulletin under the uh, beautiful, which is the name of our upcoming series, there's some information about a weekly uh, devotional letter that uh, I'm going to be sending out every week during Lent, and it's just going to kind of key off of a few of the readings and hopefully have some uh, maybe links to outside resources that would be interesting to you as you go through your Lent season. So uh, our hope is that we can keep you connected uh, through the Lent season, connected obviously uh, to the church, but most importantly connected to God. And so whatever resource we can be uh, in that, we want to help. And so sign up for the newsletter. Uh, that You can find that on Facebook or on the website, and then use the bookmark, and that would be cool. Last thing is I'm trying something new, okay? Um, I think that our questions are important. I, I ask a lot of questions as I come to a text and as I write a sermon, uh, and then I get to stand up here and tell you all uh, what I think, and then you don't get to ask as many questions. So we're going to try something. If you have questions about the passage or about the sermon uh, that we're going to be going through today, I would encourage you just text us. That's not my number. That's just a number, and that goes to an inbox. It's anonymous, so don't worry. I'm not tracking you down. Uh, but you can text any questions that you might have to that number. What I'm going to try to do is put together a video and try to answer, if possible, or at least try to talk about those questions. So I would encourage you, really, if there's something on your mind or on your heart as we go through this, uh, that number is going to be on every slide throughout the sermon, and so you can text that number if you have any sort of questions or anything, and I'll put together a video. It'll go up on our church Facebook page on Tuesdays, and like I said, if it's a, it's a question that I feel like has an answer, then I will try to answer it, and if it's a question that is so broad that maybe we just need to talk about it and look at it from different perspectives, then I'll try to do that as well. So um, I would just encourage you, again, just trying some stuff to keep you guys connected to try to um, help us take church with us throughout the week. So now that you've heard a second 
announcement package. Aren't you so excited? Uh, I will start <laughs> with the sermon. This is the last week of our series that uh, we had some fits and starts with, uh, with so many cancellations and snow days, but we are through our series in Galatians called Freed. Freed was the name of the series, and that's because the main push of the book of Galatians has been Paul's argument uh, that we are truly free in Christ. So Paul has been arguing against this idea that has come up in the churches in Galatia that somehow we have to add something to the gospel of Jesus Christ. That somehow something else has to be added to the, to the truth of who Jesus was and what Jesus did for us and the victory that he won in order for us to be part of the family of God. And Paul has been clear. There is no other way to be part of the family of God outside of Jesus. You can't add anything to it. You can't subtract anything from it. That is it. And in Christ, we have been set free. So no longer do we need to uh, do things and perform in a certain way to keep God happy with us or in order to try to get ourselves into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Paul says we have been set free in Christ. He just says over and over again, it is Jesus who rescues And only by the grace of God are we part of God's family. Anything else that anyone else wants to add to the gospel, any checklists or legalisms or anything like that, need to be rejected wholesale. So as we get to chapter 5 this morning, uh, we kind of find this crescendo of Paul's argument. He has spent the first four chapters of the book making this argument and really working the angles of this argument to try to help the Galatians understand the truth of this reality, that it is in Christ we've been set free. And in chapter 5, we kind of find the crescendo uh, about grace and the law. And he begins by saying explicitly what he has said implicitly throughout. This is uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Paul wrote, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Paul says, look, when you accepted Christ, you were set free from the anxiety of never being good enough for God. There's an anxiety to that, and we we talked about that a few weeks ago, that there's an anxiety to this idea that we have to work for God's favor because ultimately we know that we will always come short. And we'll always be under this anxiety of trying to perform for God. Paul says, you have been set free from that anxiety. He says, in fact, you're free. You have been set free for the sake of freedom. That's, that's kind of esoteric, right? It's kind of high-minded. You've been set free for the sake of freedom. Don't go back now and put on the yoke of slavery. That's why we call the series Freed. The central idea that Paul wants the Galatians to understand is that they should be living joyfully in the freedom of Christ. So halfway uh, through this passage now, uh, in chapter 5, halfway through the passage, Paul uh, pivots a little bit away from this idea, away from this idea that we've been set free in Christ, and he actually starts to deal with some of the other issues the Galatians have been dealing with. So he spent all this time, all this energy, uh, focusing on this issue of freedom in Christ. And now that he feels like he has finally set the stage for the Galatians, now they finally understand what it means to be set free in Christ. Now that they get that, he's saying, okay, there is some other stuff, okay? There's some other stuff that we got to deal with. And so Paul is making this pivot moment, and he turns toward some practical teaching. You're set free in Christ, he said, but now what do you do with that freedom? What does that mean to be set free? So we're going to pick this up in verse 13 of chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom 
to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So my wife and I have been married for uh, 10 years. It'll be 11 years this summer. We've been married 10 years. And in 10 years, uh, you learn that you have uh, different ways of doing household tasks. You have different ways of doing household. And now everybody has different ways of doing household tasks. This is not uh, just us. Uh, Everybody, I think, folds their clothes differently. We can't all be Marie Kondo with the little rectangles, right? Uh, We all fold our clothes different. We all load the dishwasher differently. Most people do it wrong. Um, I do it right, obviously. The bowls go on top. It's just not hard. Um, But, you know, we have different ideas. We have different ways that we do some household tasks. In 10 years, you probably uh, get into step with your spouse on the way to do things. We now fold clothes the same way. We now, we don't load the dishwasher the same way. God bless her. Um, But we do things, (laughs) we do things uh, the same way, except for when we say it's time to clean up. It's time to clean up. This word has different meanings to Kayla and I. So, you know, we're going to have uh, family come over for the weekend or some friends visiting from out of town. And it's like, you know, we got, we've got to clean up. And so Kayla, right away, you know, she gets out the broom. She gets out the vacuum. She gets out the Windex and all this. And she is cleaning our house. And I'm like, yes, I'm going to help. And uh, so then I go to a room uh, and then I, I start cleaning. But then it's like I'm in the bedroom and I'm putting away clothes. And then I realize my sock drawer is it's very disorganized. And that's, you know... That just can't stand. And so now all of a sudden I'm, I'm looking at my sock drawer and why do I have all these socks that don't have matches, you know? And so now I got, you know, this is a task that I really got to tackle now. And usually about an hour later, uh, Kayla walks into the bedroom and I'm laying on the bed with like 50 uh, mismatched socks, you know? And she's like, what are you doing? Because I have gotten so focused on one little thing. I've gotten so focused down on this one area that I've kind of forgotten uh, everything else that's going on. This happens a lot. Uh, It's not, I feel bad for Kayla. Uh, It happens a lot. As I read through Galatians, I found myself getting to this section uh, that we just read, uh, verses 13 through 26. I found myself getting to this section, and the only word I can use to describe my feeling was flabbergasted. 
I was completely flabbergasted. Because when you're reading Scripture, a, a good tip is like, what issues were they dealing with? Well, what issues are they being talked to about? So if you want to know what you know, the church in Galatia was going through, then you just read Galatians and say, well, if Paul's talking about these things, then obviously those are issues that the Galatians are dealing with. And when we look at this list, um, it, it's kind of amazing that the Galatians were dealing with all this stuff. And Paul spent the vast majority of the book talking about one small little thing. I mean, he spent the whole book talking about grace and the law. And then you get to this part. And did, did you listen to the list? I mean, this is what's happening in Galatia. These are the things that are happening. These seem like huge issues. These seem like huge things. And when I read the list, I really started to wonder if maybe Paul spent a little too much time with the law and grace conversation. Like, Paul, maybe you spent a little too much of your time writing on the law and grace conversation. Sure, obviously, that's an important, important conversation. Um, But this list also included sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. That's the Bible, okay? That's what we're reading today. That is a list. How do you not open with the list? If you guys were dealing with that, I would open with the list, okay? I'd come here with the list because those seem like huge issues. Those seem like big things to deal with. These are pressing matters, and yet they get relegated to the end of Paul's letter. They get kind of relegated to the back end. How can issues that seem so important not get mentioned until the end of chapter 5? For Paul, it is of the utmost importance that we understand why we do what we do. Why do we do or not do what we do or do not do? The reason that Paul begins uh, with the conversation about law and grace, and the reason that he spends so much of his time explaining the grace of God, is that God's grace is the foundation of what it means to live a Christian life. God's grace is the foundational reality out of which our life as followers of Jesus Christ can grow. It is only out of an understanding of God's grace that we can exist as children of God. It is only out of an understanding of God's grace that we can move into the world and follow what God wants for us, to live as citizens of the kingdom of God. If we have a broken or truncated understanding of grace— then we will constantly find ourselves running back to the law, running back to rules, running back to legalism, back to checklists, back to the treadmill of working for God's favor. If we don't understand God's grace, that God paid it all on the cross through Jesus Christ, if we don't understand that, then we will always slip backwards into thinking that we have to do something to attain God's favor, to retain or attain God's favor. That's just the natural way that our minds will work. And what happens is, when we read a list like the one Paul gives in chapter 5, we automatically will start to read with that lens, the lens of legalism. We create a new checklist of do's and do nots. When we read that list in chapter 5, we say, well, there you go. 
Paul said we were free, but now very clearly there is a list of things to do and to not do, and we need to stay clear of these things and do these things. And we all of a sudden get right back into this sense of legalism, this sense of following the rules, as though following the rules is what God wants from us. As though following the rules is why we have been set free in the first place. So Paul says again and again and again that we are free, 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 free. He goes down this list of the ways that we put the yoke of slavery, as he calls it, back onto ourselves, of law, of trying to attain God's grace. He goes way further than I would have if I had written this letter to try to explain to people that we no longer have to perform for God. He goes so in-depth into that. And once he's finally sure that we understand what it means to be free, he gives us the list as a warning. So my wife's parents used to own a little packing and shipping store. Um, and when she and fi- I first met, uh, I got a job working there. So I was in high school, and I got a job working uh, for these lovely people. And uh, then I started dating their daughter, and they didn't fire me. Go figure. Um, so I, w- I worked there, and it was a really, it was a good job. It was re- uh, kind of a relaxed work environment. It was fun. They were nice to work for. There was literally like one rule for employment, and the rule was do not wear shorts. Do not wear shorts. Now, when it's 60 degrees outside, I'm wearing shorts, man. I'm not one of these people who wears it when it's like 30, but I do love wearing shorts in the summer. And uh, it would get so hot, and the sun is beating down, and it's 100 degrees, and I got to show up to work, you know, in jeans and things like this. And it was, you know, I was 18, and I, that was hard. It was hard, guys, the shorts. Um, that was literally the only rule. Uh, but I didn't want to do it. So, uh, but I'm wearing pants every day. Well, one, uh, one week, Kayla's parents, my employees, uh, go on vacation. They're going to go on vacation, and they leave me in charge of the store. And everything went fine. I mean, I didn't lose any money. Uh, you know, nobody robbed us. It was, it was good, right? We packed and shipped boxes. That's what we did. Um, but I did wear shorts. <laughs> like every single day, I wore shorts. And I'm like, who am I hurting, right? Who am I hurting by wearing shorts? Who's even going to ever know that I'm wearing these shorts? Uh, they gave me an inch. I took the whole mile, Right? They did find out. Somebody narked. I don't know what happened. Um, they did find out. I got in a little bit of trouble. But I just, I, you know, I had the freedom. I had the, the, I had the control, right? I had the opportunity. Nobody was watching me at this point. And what did I do immediately is I wore shorts, which seems so stupid thinking back. I wasn't a great employee. Uh, I'm a better son-in-law, though, I promise. Um, Paul has made it so clear, so crystal clear, that we are free in Christ. Free from rules. Free from the burden of the law. But Paul also understands human nature. And so he gives a warning. Just because you're free doesn't mean that you should indulge every desire and whim that you have. Because as much as it is true that we have been set free from the law, from rules, from legalism, from the treadmill of anxiety of performing for God, as true as it is, and it is true that we have been set free from all those things, we have also been set free for the sake of the world. We have been set free for the sake of the world. That we would live as citizens of the kingdom of God for the sake of those around us. 
And so Paul is making this tightrope argument. On the one side, there's legalism. There's the law. This side says, don't do these things in chapter 5, this list. Don't do these things because they are on the naughty list. These things are on the naughty list, and you can't do them because they're on the naughty list. That's why. Follow the rules, and you will have life. That's on one side of this tightrope. On the other side of the tightrope, there is this sense of freedom that indulges what Paul calls the desires of the flesh. This is the side where we say, well, I'm set free, right? And in freedom, I can do anything. All things are are lawful, as Paul says in another part of Scripture. Uh, And so I can do whatever I want. As long as I say a magical prayer to God once or twice, then I now am in the clear and I can do what I want because I have freedom. I can now live however I want. And these are the two sides, right? The two sides that we can so easily be pulled onto. And Paul is trying to strike out this space right in the middle, this tightrope argument. And what Paul calls this is walking in the Spirit. To live as one who has been called and set apart by God. This this idea of, of our Christian life, our life in Christ, as walking in step with the Spirit. Moment by moment being dependent on God for His help and direction. And Paul contrasts this life in the Spirit with life in the flesh by providing this list that we, uh, we hear, if you've been spending any time in church, you've probably heard before, these things called the fruits of the Spirit. And so Paul is creating a contrast. He says, look, within the flesh, you are either going to go to legalism, that's part of the flesh, or you are going to go to this indulgent sense of freedom, that's in the flesh. He says right in the middle, though, Right in the middle of that, there's this thing called walking in the Spirit. And this is what it looks like. Instead of always thinking about ourselves, we can love others. Instead of always seeking out pleasure, we can have real joy. Instead of constantly being unsettled with our life, we can have peace. Instead of losing our cool, we can have patience. Instead of placing our needs above others, we can be kind. Instead of looking for chances to look good, we really can do good. Instead of being unreliable, we can be faithful. Instead of responding to people harshly, we can be gentle. And instead of giving in to our impulses, we can have self-control. And that is the idea that Paul puts forward as what it means to walk in the Spirit. And as I thought about that, and as I listed those things out, I thought, isn't that what we all want? Don't I want to be the kind of person who is loving, who is joyful, who has a real sense of peace in life, who's not always striving, the kind of person who is reliable, who shows up when I say I'm going to show up, the type of person who when my children are bothering me about something for the hundredth time, that I don't lose my patience, that I don't speak harshly to them. Isn't that the kind of person that I want to be, the person who walks in the Spirit and whose life is filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Isn't that who I want to be, gentle and self-controlled? Isn't that what all of us really want when we think about the person that we want to be? These fruits of the Spirit are not something that we can attain by following the rules. They cannot be part of our checklist. That might work for a while, It might work for a while, but it's going to become so exhausting to live that way out of our own power. 
That's just not the way that we are going to naturally turn. And so if we are just trying to do it for the sake of being good or for the sake of making God happy, eventually we're going to run out of steam. We're not going to be able to do it. Likewise, these fruits of the Spirit will not come naturally to us if we are just living out of our freedom and indulging our own desires. We are broken and imperfect people. And even if sometimes we will do those types of things, even if sometimes we will live that way when we are living out of our own natural desires, there will be other times. And we all experience this. There will be other times when we're too tired or too bothered or too put upon to live that way. When we are living out of our own power, the fruits of the Spirit won't show up. It is only by walking in the Spirit that we will find the fruits of the Spirit naturally grow in our lives. That's not something that is really very easy. It's something that I struggle with every single day to try to find myself walking in the Spirit. But I believe without a doubt that walking in the Spirit is the fullest life that we can possibly live. Walking in a way where we are dependent on God for our next step is the way of life that we were created and intended to live. It is the way that Adam and Eve were intended to live. It's the way that all of us are intended to live. It is the fullest life possible. Jesus said when he came that he had come to give us life to the full, and he was talking about life in the Spirit. A life filled with the fruits of the Spirit a grand adventure that we are called to go on with the God of the universe. And honestly, that sounds really good, but it also is kind of hard to grasp. What exactly does that mean when it comes to the nuts and bolts of my life? What exactly does it look like to walk in the Spirit every single moment? Because it sounds nice. It sounds like words in a book or on a, on a cute little print that you would buy at the Christian bookstore, right? It sounds great. But how do you do it? In those moments where your, your co-workers are driving you crazy, when your kids are asking you again for something and you just don't know the answer, how do you do it? How do you find yourself walking in the Spirit? Well, Paul actually gives us Cliff's Notes, a cheat sheet. Isn't that kind? Paul actually tells us, this is the test that you can apply to figure out if you are making decisions in line with the Spirit. In verses 13 and 14, Paul wrote, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul breaks down the whole lofty idea of walking in the Spirit into one simple question. Are we loving our neighbor? Is the decision that you're about to make a decision that will have a positive impact on those around you? Will the words in the conversation that you are about to use express God's love to the person that you are talking to? Will your response to a crisis be a response that comes out of love and peace? Do we live our lives for ourselves, or do we live our lives for the good and the benefit of others? That is the question that Paul 
posed to the Galatians, and I believe it's the question that we are supposed to ask ourselves today. Will we invite the Spirit to reveal to us this week those spaces and places where we can love our neighbors well? Where we can bring the love of God to those around us? My prayer for us is that we can invite the Spirit into our daily walk and then we can use this question as a guide in the conversations and in the, in the, in the moments that we find ourselves in. Is this loving my neighbor? Is this loving the person that I am standing with right now? Is it loving those around me? And as we are answering that question in the affirmative, yes, yes it is, we are finding ourselves walking in the Spirit. And I promise you, you will find yourself living out those beautiful, beautiful fruits of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, we are uh, grateful for our freedom. You could ask us for anything. You created us. You could make the rules as harsh as we could possibly imagine. You could set up a checklist and a system to follow. And if we failed to do that, then we were just out. God, you could have done, you could have done any of that. You are the creator. But instead, God, you loved us. God, you emptied yourself you took on the form of a man, Jesus Christ. Philippians says, even though Jesus himself was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead took on the form of a servant and emptied his life out for the benefit of the world. That is the ultimate act, God, of neighborly love. And so you didn't create some exacting rules. You didn't create a system where we had to be flawless. You didn't create a system where if we didn't keep this one tiny little detail, then we weren't going to be able to do it. God, you didn't do any of that. Instead, you set us free for the sake of freedom, for the sake that we could now be your hands and feet in the world. And God, you went one further because you said, if you do this, you will have the fullest life possible. God, sometimes we believe that, that when we do what feels good, that's when we have our fullest life. We believe that when we chase after the things that we think are important or that we want to do, we believe that's where we get our fullest life, God. But you have made it so clear that when we will live as you lived, when we will follow you, that we will find ourselves living the full life, filled with love and joy and peace. That's the life we desire today. And so I pray that you would fill us up. Pour your spirit into us to overflowing this week, God, and drive us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Because when we do that, God, we're acting like you. And our lives will be full, fuller than they've ever been. God, we love you, and we're amazed by your love for us. Thank you, God. I pray all this in your name. Amen.